Welcome to The Green Rush, a podcast about the business of cannabis. On a weekly basis, hosts Ann Donahoe and Lewis Goldberg talk with the CEOs, politicians, and cultural icons driving the cannabis industry forward. It seems like every week there's something big happening in the cannabis industry, and this week is no exception. The Cannabis World Congress and Business Expo kicks off in Los Angeles, and as we record this show, Lewis is on his way there now. So Nick Opich will be filling in as co-host. Today, Anne and Nick are chatting with Alex Halpern, one of the first traditional reporters to truly own the cannabis beat. His Twitter bio says it best. He is quote unquote chasing the green rush for publications like The Guardian, where he has his own column called appropriately enough, High Time. Besides his writing at The Guardian and for other publications, he also has his very own platform called Weed Week, which publishes a very excellent email newsletter. We'll have all the information on how to find Alex's work in the show notes. So don't sit back, lean forward. And now on to our interview with Alex Halpern. Thanks so much for being here, Alex. Um, wanted you to talk a little bit about uh, how you got interested in the cannabis beat. What was your what was your cannabis journey? So, um, well, first of all, thanks so, so much for for having me on. This is I'm I'm excited to be here. We're big fans of your work. Um, so I I was a a business reporter in in New York, sort of a freelance business reporter, which maybe is another way to say an unemployed business reporter. But in any case, I had been writing about um, healthcare and tech and fracking and, and a bunch of different stories. And I, I had sort of been paying attention to, to marijuana legalization a little bit. This was in about 2013. Um, I, I thought it was a neat idea. I wasn't a, a cannabis user at the time, man marijuana wasn't a part of my life but um but i thought the the whole phenomenon was was pretty interesting and this was still pretty early days this was i think before after colorado and washington had voted but before the markets had opened pretty much or um and then the colorado market opened but um fast company sent me to a, a convention in in las vegas in november 2014 and it occurred to me that this is an amazing business story that really nobody was covering. And I mean, not just a business story. It's a, it's a cultural story. It's a, um, you know, as we say in weed week, it's, it, it's multi it's a multifaceted story. And I felt like nobody was giving it the kind of coverage it deserved. So I decided to take it up and I moved to Denver a couple months after that. That that's incredible. In, I, so we know everything that you're kind of going on on Weed Week, and we'll get a little bit more into that later. But another place where you're covering cannabis is with The Guardian. And I, that just is kind of amazing to me because, you know, it's a British-based outlet. If you look back five years ago, this isn't a job. Like a cannabis reporter isn't something that you would think that you would normally find. So can you talk about, like, that experience of like, contributing to a major media company uh, covering cannabis and, like, kind of how they've been accepting of, of the industry and what the audience is? are looking sure. for when they read your stuff? Yeah. So, I mean, so I, I write a column for The Guardian and then I write freelance pieces for, for them as well. And the column is, is is called High Time, which is pretty funny, I think. Um, 
it wasn't my I didn't come up with it. But y- you know, The Guardian has a global audience um probably a good portion of whom in um in the UK and Australia and in, in New Zealand, Canada and the U- the US have 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 tried cannabis at at one point or another but aren't necessarily familiar with um how how legalization is working and i sort of see the column as a way to introduce folks to to different aspects of legalization so that can be anything from i had a recent column on dabbing and and dab culture um or but also i've done political stories business stories health stories and the idea is that this is such a multifaceted story and my my columns for them are sort of introducing them to introducing readers to different facets of it um so for example right now uh, when is this going to be posted Probably so. We're recording on the twan the twenty fifth of September. Probably two weeks. Okay, so this story will probably be out by then. Um, and if it's not, it's okay. Uh, so I'm I'm writing a story about um, marijuana and the and the the upcoming midterms, which is it's an issue that nobody politicians, whether they're for it or against it, don't really talk about, or most of them don't really talk about in a sophisticated way, but it's it's a real issue and it doesn't necessarily cut um the same way as, as most of the issues we're familiar with uh, along the red blue divide um so sort of an in- introduction to that and it, it's a way to sort of introduce guardian readers to something that's happening that in my view is going to be very very hard to stop um from reaching uh, the the UK, Canada, of course, Australia, and sort of keying them in on on what they need to know. Well, and I think what your column accomplishes uh, is 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 not just a one hundred and one. I mean, like you you did a col- a great column on CBD, and I think that's just such a confusing concept for a lot of people. Like, what is CBD? And so you you do you know it's almost like a college course on you know what you need to know a- about things that you kind of terms you kind of hear flying about, and you know. So I I think you do a really good job of that, and we'll make sure that we have a, a link. Um, to the column in the show notes because it's it's really interesting even to go back I was thumbing through you know past past columns and um, just the coverage has been great so, um, well, so I'm excited I'm excited to read uh, to read the midterms column because you kind of preempted our question here um, the uh, you know are there any and, and I guess being a British based outlet I mean I know it's a global audience is there is there an appetite for what's going on in our midterms you know in terms of this issue I mean I know that there's attention being paid probably an unusual amount of attention to a US midterm this year for right. many reasons um, you know do you think that that people are kind of wondering what's going on from the canvas side and what are you seeing you know from from candidates like what are there any referendums you're watching closely any candidates you're watching really closely that you're going to highlight so um yeah i mean nobody would say marijuana is one of the top sort of five issues probably one of the top 20 issues um at stake during during the midterms 
But, you, you, you know, it is, it's a way to, it's an entry point to sort of talk about something bigger. And, I mean, so I think one thing that's kind of interesting is that, you, you know, now it's a pretty standard democratic, democratic position to support marijuana legalization but but not that many democrats are are interested in really sort of talking up marijuana they're not too comfortable saying what the industry would like them to say which is that this is america's next great industry and it's going to create all kinds of jobs and it's a a safer alternative to alcohol and it pulls well it's popular and it pulls well. No, 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 it absolutely pulls well. But but they're not comfortable talking about it that way. So it, it's enough to I wouldn't quite say wink. It's not like a like a dog whistle like you say about um sort of appeals to racial grievance that or or something like that. But it it's more like I think everybody understands where the Democrats are on legalization and there, there's support the sort of people who who support legalization are basically for it and on the, on the Republican side um you, you know they used to be the party of of law and order and I, I suppose still are and still respect in, and, yeah. in, in, in some respects but um th there are very few if any um Republicans running for office who are talking loudly about just say no um, I think a, a, in, instead they're sort of moderately endorsing it. So I think one example would be Pete Sessions, who's a, a Republican from Texas, no relation to Jeff Sessions, but he has been an he's really um, <clears throat> infuriated legalization activists for a long time by as the head of the rules committee in the House, he blocks bills from reaching a vote. And these have been on pretty modest bills like you know do allowing doctors to talk about it like with veterans and stuff like that uh, but but he recently met with uh parents who a group mama i think is the acronym but it's mothers of um autistic children who want their children to either have access and and more research into cannabis for for treating autism and uh congressman sessions who is facing the first competitive race of his life against um a former nfl player colin allred i believe he's a lawyer as well and you know colin, colin allred supports legalization but he's not supports certainly access for veterans i i'm not sure of his exact position um but he's not making a lot of noise about it but meanwhile pete sessions met with these mothers uh who who want more access for for their children with autism so even this staunch opponent is willing to sort of move a little bit on this the only you know whereas in the administration folks who don't have elected positions like um Jeff Sessions uh the attorney general or um I think the head of the FDA Scott Gottlieb the secretary of health and human services Alex Azar I think his name is you know they've all taken fairly strong anti-weed positions uh but none of them have to answer directly to voters and 
there's enough going on in, in the political climate that probably that nobody's voting for for nobody's going to vote for Trump in 2020. Well, I shouldn't say that. <laughs> it wasn't it it wasn't an an issue in the 2016 presidential election. It was something where again Trump and Hillary both more or less agreed. Um so politicians are are savvy to that. So Alex, I want to jump back to something. So do you think the Democrats are missing their window on on making cannabis legalization a truly progressive issue? Because I'm not sure if you talked with uh, with Lewis, uh, who hosts this, and sometimes will get on a rant about it. But he truly believes that uh, Donald Trump could do an October surprise and and legalize cannabis uh, right ahead of the midterms election, just trying to you know sway something that way. So like, and also that would be just a great way to to cause a loss for the Democrats and make Chuck Schumer and the rest of that on that group just look like losers on, in the, on this issue. So do you think the Democrats should be making cannabis legalization a midterm issue or a presidential issue in 2020? Well, you know, it's certainly true that that Trump could do that. I, I wouldn't put anything past him. And. And I, I, I would but and I would also say that, you know, Trump has is famously a, a teetotaler. But I, I think that as a politician, he's the kind of politician who understands that he's not going to get anywhere by by taking away the people's weed. Um, or as I said in one article that got killed, um, you, you know, Donald Trump said he could shoot somebody on on Fifth Avenue and not lose any supporters. But but he didn't say he could take away people's weed and not lose any supporters. I I, I think he understands <laughs> that. Why did that get killed? Because <laughs> uh, stories sometimes get killed. It it wasn't the greatest story. Otherwise, I'll I'll get it in someplace else. I'm sure. But um, but no, I mean the Democrats have made something of an issue of it, and anyone who's paying attention, I think, realizes that the the Democrats. And anyone who's paying attention to this issue anyway understands that the Democrats and Republicans have very different positions on it. I I think the Republicans who, who favor it are now in favor of it in a in a very deregulated way. Um they they don't talk about equity whereas where they Democrat. make it a state's rights issue and you know exactly. hands off I mean, my business and yeah not a social justice issue exactly i mean you can you can make a pretty compelling sort of republican case for legalization and and that's what they're doing whereas the democrats have a have a much different approach they or most some democrats there's a a bill that was put forward by by cory bookwer that's has much more about um, restitution for communities that were, were damaged in the war on drugs and um, and things like that. And, you know, the, the Republicans these days really aren't in in the business of even talking about what are essentially affirmative action programs. That That's just not <laughs> not what they're about. So, you, you know, and I've argued I argued in Slate that the industry could find its political home in the Republican Party because they're an industry and the Republicans are more business friendly. Well, and I think that the the acceptance seems to be shifting. So the you know, the one of the largest 
consumer groups of cannabis are now baby boomers. Um, and so I think, you know, as the demographics shift and get older and, you know, people have lots of aches and pains and are finding remedies here, they're kind of changing their ideas. So this kind of, I mean, I feel like there's times that I feel like this is, you know, the, the Republicans issue to lose, but maybe that's just me being really cynical. No, no, I, 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 I think, I think you're, you're basically right. Um, like the the Republicans have a, you, you know, I think the strongest opposition to, to legalization is among seniors, but they're also the, the fastest growing group of users. So there's there's really no political upside in running hard against marijuana. And really, nobody is. So um, you uh, you talk to a lot of sources. Uh, and CEOs uh, and advocates, are there any who have have stood out to you, and they could be politicians too, as particularly visionary, you know, on this issue, or like, wow, they like this this person just has their shit together, and I want to make sure I follow their career. Is someone? Are, is there anyone or or people that are standing out to you that are that are underrepresented? Well, one one thing I've heard is um as, as i said before even the democrats who who support legalization you know not too many of them are saying you know this is what this is healthier than alcohol this is a a major jobs creator this is like an an american industry of the future um my state senator i believe kevin de leon who's currently an underdog running for California Senate to the left of Dianne Feinstein, the longtime California senator, I've seen him talk about how this is a real jobs-creating opportunity. And, and he gives marijuana a really, or he gives cannabis a, a much more full-throated endorsement than even most Democrats are comfortable with. Although I don't remember him saying anything along the lines of, this is something uh, beneficial. Um, I don't think anybody is saying that. But, but, but I think his willingness to recognize the the jobs issue is he's really sort of on the forefront of that. But there are, there are quite a few others as well. So one way that a lot of cannabis jobs can be created though is if the u.s actually legalizes it so i gave you lewis's perspective where he thinks it could happen in october i think we're a couple of years down the line uh in the u.s probably until 2021 at the earliest for actual cannabis legalization in the u.s what do you believe that timeline is oh man i i really don't know um you know whereas trump could could do that I I I don't I don't even know if it's sort of within Trump's power, the president's power, sort of with a stroke of a pen to to legalize, <laughs> uh, reschedule or deschedule. Yeah, or, yeah. yeah. You, you know, I think I think there's a possibility of a real sort of federally a, a shift in federal law before 2020. Uh, I don't know if that's full legalization or if it's sort of giving the okay to the the state industries and giving okay 
be okay to banking. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Banking would be the big issue there. And, and you know, perhaps um, dealing with the, the industry-hated tax rule 280E, that's pretty much bipartisan. It's an unfair tax. Anybody who's looked at it sort of, sort of recognizes that. I think issue, issues like that could be cleared up by 2020, and Trump could very much see that as, as part of his re-election effort. Well, we're about, by the time this episode hits, we'll be about a week out from the day Canada goes legal on October 17th. Do you think that's going to play any role in getting the U.S. to speed up with it? I mean, we're already seeing like Tilray is going to be importing cannabis uh, for, for medical research when we could clearly just be growing that cannabis or it's already being grown here in the U.S. Like, is, is the Canada legalization uh, effort going to play any role on the U.S.? I mean, it's got to in some way. I think the really crazy thing is that the this border issue isn't resolved yet. So that, you know, technically, and this happens, anyone who has been, anyone, any non-American citizen, any foreign citizen, foreign national, who enters the U.S. can be banned for life if they've ever used cannabis. Now... 40, you know, probably close to half of Canadians have tried cannabis. Um, the Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau, acknowledged smoking weed when he was in Parliament. Um, and that it, it it's a very <laughs> crazy situation, I think, that this isn't going to be resolved. And that for for Canadians crossing the border, whether they're in the industry or not, this is going to be an ongoing issue. I mean, it's good for the the Canadian immigration lawyers, but it's kind of a nutty situation. And it's hard to, unless it's only very loosely enforced, it's hard to see how how this is going to develop. I mean, but, but we've known people who are now, they've become reticent to cross the border because they're, you know, very publicly either investing in or working in the industry and they they like their global entry <laughs> um, and you know they they just kind of don't want the hassle which it just seems so stupid yeah i i i get it <laughs> um you, you know it's a sense of you know canada is a wealthy industrialized nation and they're having to experience some fraction of what uh, visitors and immigrants from uh, less less wealthy nations ha- have to experience. Right. So, um, you know, we're talking about the, this booming industry and, and certainly the potential of, of, a, of an even boomier industry. I think I made up a word. Um, <laughs> But do you think that there's, and we talked a little bit about this, uh, that the cannabis industry could be following in the footsteps of the internet boom of the 90s? Like, do you see any similarities? Are there, um, are, you know, are, are there any red flags that you're seeing that you're like, okay, we've been through this before, let's not do it again? I mean, there are, I, there are all sorts of ways, you, you, you know, I... I with all of these sort of economic frenzies, like the dot-com bubble or the green rush and, you know, going back 
way back when they're they're all based or most of them anyway are based on real economic demand you, you know you could see during the when the dot com busted that it wasn't like the internet was going to go away it was just that this class of of companies that operated in a way operated in a way that was hubristic or it wasn't necessarily hubristic but they the the companies didn't succeed but but the internet didn't go anywhere um and the internet has has of course thrived and um based on that ruin so i i think there's the same thing with cannabis demand for cannabis is going to increase and with legalization and with um companies really and the industry as a whole sort of really marketing cannabis as part of a normal life or a, a healthy life demand is going to increase because people are going to try it and be like wow well well that's okay and and maybe it helps them or maybe they maybe they just enjoy it and so they're they're going to keep using it but but that doesn't mean all the companies providing it are are going to be um successful there are a lot of wrenching changes and they're they're being hit in all kinds of different ways a lot of companies aren't going to make it so uh i want to jump back you you had briefly brought up the, the your recent piece on the concentrates and uh just really on the growing popularity of concentrates the the and dabbing and stuff and this echoes something we've seen and heard as well that traditional flour is just falling out of vogue uh, for the legal industry. So what do you think's driving that? What, like when you were doing your research on this story, what, what did you find? Was it new users are joining the space and looking for something for something different than just rolling a joint? Or is it uh, traditional users looking to, for, for new ways to enjoy their cannabis? I mean, the, the, the industry has been pretty, pretty good at trying to change sort of perceptions of of marijuana users and so part of that is is new new forms but you know flower has several um disadvantages from as sort of a modern product and also sort of as a as a reminder of these stereotypes that the 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 industry isn't wants to sort of uh, dissolve and so you know flour is messy it smells it you can't really do it discreetly and concentrates in like a vape pen or um, edibles and so, so many of the other products are really much more conducive to the the way people live now and and also I think the perception a lot of a lot of cannabis users don't want to be perceived as stoners and a vape pen makes that a lot easier. Now of course with with other kinds of concentrates, you know, you can get a dab rig and you can get every bit as obsessive and messy and um you, you know talk about the different dabs for as long as you want to. But that's that's a pretty small subset of of the community. And um, so just I think the new products, including concentrates, are better at a appealing to modern 
and non-traditional cannabis users? Uh, so this may be a little philosophical, but do you, uh, what do you think is the most underreported story in the industry? Or, or maybe let me put it this way. Has there been a story that you've written that you felt like, um, or pu and published that people just haven't paid that much attention to? <laughs> um, I, I think, I think the most underreported story and and it should be said that while I'm the columnist for The Guardian, you know, almost no one, none of the major American media outlets have a somebody covering the business of cannabis full time. And Do you think that's going to change people? What? Do you think that'll change anytime soon? Well, nobody's hired me. So <laughs> um, I, I think there's still among sort of <laughs> on the East Coast, sort of on the New York, D.C. axis, there's a, a fair amount of disinterest. And, and that's, you know, the, the media is otherwise occupied, and for which is understandable, of course, and of course has had all sorts of, of business problems. But I don't think anybody really knows how well the state programs are are working and what i mean by that is you know in just about all the states you can get you know really attractively or in a lot of states anyway you can get attractively packaged products um the edible dosing is almost certainly way more consistent than it was three or four years ago so you're not gonna have have an un you're much less likely to have an unpleasant experience than maybe you would have a couple of years ago. But nobody really knows who's making money, if the money is being reported, where the money is going. Um, and in a lot of these cases, because of the, the lack of the um, federal government and being involved and, and the lack of the sort of investigative arm of the media, we're basically just taking the state's word for it. And and some states have sort of sounded the alarm, like Oregon has more or less sounded the alarm. Um, but other states are like, oh yeah, everything is is doing fine. And we, we really don't know. And it's going to be a really hard problem to solve once, um, say, the federal government starts to pay attention to that. And do you think that's a function of, um, it, because, because you're right. And certainly we've experienced that, that cannabis itself gets kind of bunched into, um, you know, a business reporter's beat or an investigate, not even an investigative reporter's beat, but, you know, do you think that just there's such this scarcity and no one's really paying attention because it's not relatively speaking, it's not a huge tax you know, revenue for, uh, for a state. It's, it's a lot, it's good, but it's not, it's not, you know, anything that's, that's really that impactful yet. Do you think it's just a matter of time or do you think it's going to take someone really screwing something up? Yeah. For, yeah. For, for the rest of the country to pay attention. It's interesting. You, you know, nobody has really screwed it up and, and, that, and no. so, so far, <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah. You, you know, as I've, I think I've, I've said somewhere, you know, there hasn't been any sort of national tragedy that has sort of focused the nation. And to some degree, that's shows how safe cannabis is, at least in its acute effects, meaning, you, you know, you're not going to you're much less likely to, to ruin your life after getting stoned than after getting drunk. Um, you know, we haven't had any school bus drivers get stoned and drive over cliffs or anything like that. Um, but, but also it's, it's that we have this new industry, which is totally unique in a lot of respects. It has ongoing ties to sort of the criminal world. It, it operates in a way that no other industry is, has ever operated in. And each state has basically been making it up as they go along. So they're, they're, they're all trying hard, but, but it's really hard to tell how well they're working. And there's really been, every state of course has its own industry and we don't see much coordination between them or anything like that. It's, it's just that you have a dozen or more states, basically every state is at some, some stage in this process, but say 15 states with sort of where this is really in play and they're all sort of figuring this out on their own so it, it's very hard to get any sense of what's going on nationally and um and because there are so many it seems i think maybe some of the folks who might investigate it um you, you know they might focus on on one or two states well and, there's also yeah i'm sorry please continue no, I was going to say, and there's no universal like metric. There's no benchmark. Like you said that this is, you know, the rules are being written right now. You know, they're like on smudgy pieces of pieces of paper. So there's not, you know, I, I would imagine as a reporter, that's got to be really difficult. I mean, you know, when, when like, I don't know, like companies like WorldCom or those, you know, the, the big, you know, tech companies that just crashed, like there were paper trails, there were, you know, benchmarks you could, but there's just not that infrastructure yet it seems like true no exactly so it's it's very hard and y you know i mean right now the the business climate is so hard with 280e and you know the constantly changing web of regulations and i mean there's a lot of temptation for business owners to offload product onto the illegal market or not report their earnings or do whatever it is they have to do to stay afloat and we just have very little idea how how common that is, how much of it is going on, and and whether you know there certainly have been busts by the states. I'm not trying to criticize the states, but it, it's just a very difficult process. So, Alex, we we've mentioned it a couple of times, and uh, just for some of our listeners who may not be familiar, you're the founder of Weed Week. So, can you give us the the update on everything you guys are doing? Like, we I have your newsletter. If you don't already subscribe to to Alex's Weed Week newsletter, make sure you're signing up. But can you give us an update on uh, everything that's going on over there? Sure. So, um, yes. So, Weed Week. It's a newsletter I started in July 2015. And you can sign up for free at weedweek.net. And we started a podcast earlier this year, and um, we did it for about six months. And Haley and I, I think we, we had we had some good episodes. We had a nice time, but we, we split up for boring business reasons. 
But um, she's on to another project. And of course, I wish her the best of luck with that. Um, but anyway, so we'll be relaunching the podcast with a new co-host. Uh, and it'll probably be probably be announced once once this podcast comes out but um so i'm gonna say our our new co-host is donnell alexander he's a journalist based in in los angeles he's a pretty cool guy oh yeah that's awesome and we should be back up and running by the time this is out we also launched and he'll be writing weed week california as well which is going to be more focused on professionals in California we have um in we have Jesse Staniforth writing Weed Week Canada and pretty soon it may even be out by the time this comes out but we're in the middle of a redesign process that we think is going to really um up our game a lot and we'll be hosting a party to announce our that this is the plan anyway. I'll let you know if this changes. Everyone's but, invited. This whole but we're hosting a party at the convention in Vegas. Um, so we hope you can stop by. And yeah, we're going to, you know, Weed Week is based on the premise that the least interesting thing about marijuana is what happens after you smoke it, which is not to say that there's anything wrong with smoking it, but that what we find more interesting are the, the politics, the business, the health and science, the criminal justice, and the cultural aspects surrounding this amazing phenomenon, which is primarily a business phenomenon, the green rush, but is also a phenomenon which touches on, is going to touch on all aspects of American life and try and try and keep up with that. And do you have any details that you can drop? Uh, I know the date recently was changed, but on uh, Recharge 2019, the, the the conference you guys are setting up. Yes, so we're 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 setting up a conference. It'll be in in Los Angeles in February. I think it's February eighth or 9th. We we had to, and we're gonna have some great speakers. And I think one of the things about the industry, which I've found sort of surprising, is it's pretty buttoned up. It's it's pretty corporate. And our party's not going to be it's it's going to be fun and and engaging and I think pe- business people are going to find get value in it. But it's also going to be cool and fun and and we want people to have a good time. And instead of being in a big um convention center, it's going to be in a pretty cool spot in in LA. And we're going to have a good crowd. So we hope we hope you can make it. Well, I think you should probably come back on and talk about it when we're closer to that. So um, I, I would be happy to. Cool. Uh, so I, as- I should also say with Weed Week that, um, you, you know, I mean, one thing that sort of sets us apart from a lot of other publications in in cannabis is that we strive to replicate the separation of. Um, business and editorial operations um, as reputable news organizations do. So we have um, Adrian Nascimento has done an amazing job as the head of our, our business development. With, a, with some of the, the weed publications out there, it's, it's hard to tell what's paid content and, and what isn't paid content. And there are a lot of blurry lines there. And as a result, you don't quite know what 
you can trust. And at Weed Week, we, in our very small shop, we make every effort to separate that as definitively as possible and create the sort of established channels of journalistic credibility, which undoubtedly doing this has has cost us money to this point, but we believe that because we can't be bought, it will be a a business asset going into the future. You respect the wall. Exactly. <laughs> nice. Uh, so every week we ask our uh, guests to participate in a segment we call Puff Puff Pass. And we ask them in rapid fire, give us two things you love about the industry and one thing that you absolutely hate about the industry. So Alex, Puff Puff Pass. Okay, well, two things I love. One thing I love about the industry, you, you know, I love it that it's this sort of unique and and very American phenomenon of of people getting together and just making things happen and and trying to make money, it, which is you know it's sort of it's exciting to watch this sort of spring up and all the improvising that's necessarily and and people trying to achieve something and putting aside their differences and it's something I think it, it's nice to see in in the in our very divided country right now. Um, and I've met another thing I like, I've met a lot of, of really interesting people. I've been people who are smart and tenacious and really, I don't necessarily agree with them on everything, but they, they're, they're dedicated and they're excited and they're working to change the world. And that's, that's pretty inspiring. One thing I don't like is I don't like the amount of disinformation. I I don't like all the all the unproven health claims that are being made. I don't the the fastest way to get me to lose interest in a company is to tell me that like you're about something else something different than all the other marijuana companies. It's all it's all marijuana. And I I I think companies should should basically recognize that. And like I I was talked to a company the other day. I was supposed to write a story about it, and I I won't name them, but but I dropped the story essentially because they kept saying, "Well, we're about health and wellness, and nobody else is." When really I've been hearing that pitch for <laughs> everybody for four says years, <laughs> pr- pretty much nonstop. Um, so you y- y- you know. And I, and also just promoting um, health benefits of marijuana that are are unproven. I I think so far it hasn't really created too many problems that that we know about that have really sort of bubbled to news level. But but I don't think it's a good thing. And I think I think people should be honest about why people use cannabis for recreational reasons and for medical reasons. I, I think both are legitimate to some extent and the, the world, the, the cannabis world should try and try and be honest about them. You know, that's the first time we've heard that. 
that that's a, the, the disinformation as a pass. So um, I think that's really interesting. And definitely, you know, we see it in the, you know, the, some of the smaller trades and some of the, you know, the smaller companies trying to make a name for the, themselves that they're the cure for cancer or, you know, the next best thing since uh, insert whatever drug. And um, that always makes me, gives me pause too. So um, thanks yeah. for, for talking about that. And also, I mean, I, I feel like, you, you know, for example, there's a lot of speculation about cannabis benefiting people with with PTSD, and and there's a lot of anecdotal evidence, um, but there's not that much of what what we would call sort of credible scientific evidence. And you know, people with with PTSD are in pretty pretty fraught condition, and um, I certainly hope their cannabis use is is benefiting them. But I think they should be able to get more accurate information on what it is and isn't doing for them. And right now, that's very hard. And it can probably is probably to the detriment of, of some patients. Well, our enormous thanks to you, Alex. Thank you so much for spending time with us. Um, we are fans of your work. We're excited to to put uh, all of your work in our show notes, and we hope you come back um, to, to talk about the conference uh, early next year. Terrific. Thanks so much for having me on. It's been a lot of fun. Our enormous thanks to Alex Halpern, founder of Weed Week and cannabis reporter and columnist for The Guardian. This column is called High Time, and it's high time you check it out. See what I did there? <laughs> Follow him on Twitter <laughs> at Alex Halperin, A-L-E-X-H-A-L-P-E-R-I-N. Uh, and we'll have links to all of his work in our show notes. Please make sure to check it out. If you want to chat with us, you can always find us on Instagram and Twitter with the handle at KCSA underscore cannabis, as well as at KCSA-cannabis.com, or drop us an email at greenrush at KCSA.com. We would love your thoughts, and if you have a guest idea, stick it on in there too. Don't forget to subscribe to The Green Rush in your favorite podcatcher. Bye for now. One take, Shay. One take.